Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today we hear from Dana Castle. Dana is the program director of the McKnight Artist Fellowship for Choreographers and Dancers, with a history of serving the community administratively and many years as a dancer herself. Hello, Dana. Hello, Matthew. It's nice to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. And uh, you and I go way back to our college years at the U, uh, and I certainly have some memorable stories to share from them, but uh, you really have created an impressive path within this dance community. Uh, I, I'm really just enthralled with all you've accomplished. And uh, where did you first begin dancing? Um, I first began dancing when I was three. So <laughs> I'm a product of a mother who also liked to move and dance. And I like to, I feel like my history starts even farther in front of me because my mom grew up in Minneapolis and North Minneapolis. And she started with Dorothy Lundstrom's school of um, dance, which was located on the North side and has now become the Lundstrom Center. So I feel like um, my roots here in the Twin Cities are, are long and deep. Yeah, the Lundstroms have done quite a bit. I need to get them on here. <laughs> it's been yeah. a goal of mine for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so you kind of the the kind of studio dance. What was their expertise? Like it was non-competitive at that time, I bet, right? Right. I mean, in my early years, it was um, you know jazz and tap, your standards. And then um, I moved around a bit when I was younger uh, because of my dad's job. So I lived in. Anaheim, California for a handful of years, and then in Indiana for uh, another handful of years before I came back to the Twin Cities. So I danced in all those um, places along the way. And then when I returned to the Twin Cities in fourth grade, I jumped in at Virginia Loma because um, I'm from the Western suburbs for that piece of my growing up. And, um, you know, tap jazz ballet and then um, I can't remember why, but I changed from Virginia Loma to Summit Studio. Ah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, which Megan McClellan and I have uh, talked about because we both come from that studio. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So just a lot of um, your kind of standard studio dancing. And I think at Summit, I did compete for a handful of years. Okay. Wow. Summit Dance, Summit Dance Shop, was it called then? Or? I, just... I don't actually remember the title, but um, <laughs> you probably have it correct. That's so amazing. I didn't realize how long it's been around, too. Yeah, I think it was relatively new when I started there. Maybe that's why I started there is because they had begun a new studio that was closer to my home. I can't recall. But yeah, um, but yeah, I didn't um, didn't do anything other than that until I think um, I think I was in junior high when I kind of got more serious about things. And my mom started driving me downtown. So I went to MDT um, to take ballet classes when I was in junior high school. And um, then I took kind of a strange break and sideways um, left turn and did dance line at, on ah. high school for two years, um, which was quite an experience, as you can imagine. <laughs> Um, but it was kind of fun to dance with, uh, you know, all my high school friends. And then, um, in my senior year, I decided I did not want to do that anymore. And I really wanted to get back to dancing. I was already starting to think about going to college for dance. So I dropped off the dance line and started taking classes again at MDT and at Ballet Arts Minnesota, which was new at that time. My gosh. So you really have been a part of the history here. I didn't realize how much that you went to MDT and everything too. Yeah, I was thinking about, um, when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking about um, my history in that building in Hennepin Center for the Arts. Yeah. And um, I kind of can follow my life through that building in some ways. And um, I, I can't remember the exact age I was when I first took class in Hennepin Center, but I was could possibly have been like 12. <laughs> um, so it's been a long time I've been dancing in that building. And I, I love that MDT was still located there, but um, I don't know what you've heard. You probably heard this from Zoe, but um, 
Ballet Arts was a, a conglomeration of Zoe's kind of school and teaching and dancers and um, teachers and set up Ballet Arts Minnesota. And it was located in all sorts of different places in its early days because it didn't have a home. So I remember taking classes with um, one of Zoe's main dancers, Greg Toole or Thull. Um, and that class was at St. Anthony, Maine. Okay, yeah, I think I've heard of this. And then another time, I know I took a, a, a series of classes with a um, teacher that I cannot remember her name uh, that danced for Zoe, and that was in Xenon Studio too. So they clearly moved around during their early history. Yeah, I think it's so amazing too. Like here you are now at the McKnight working at the Cole Center, which was the Hennepin Center. So you really, yeah, that's been your home. <laughs> yeah, on and off for a very long time. And I, it's funny when I remember when the fellowship program was going to move to the Coles from its um, that at that point current home at the Northrop. I just kind of shook my head and thought, okay, it's I'm just going back there. I can't seem to, <laughs> I can't seem to escape it. <laughs> It's in your path for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, funny. That's amazing. And, and so you, it sounds like you really kind of knew that like, okay, this is dance is what I want to do and go to college for. So did you look at college programs or were you like, oh, the university of Minnesota, you knew the instructors kind of at that point or. No, actually my, my first year of college, I went to Colorado state university. Oh, see. Okay. So I really was, I knew I wanted to dance, but I also really wanted to go somewhere else. And I looked around at various programs and um, I also had um, a fondness for Colorado. I visited several times and thought that it had a lot of things I was looking for. So I went to school for one year in Colorado in Fort Collins, and it was there that I took my first modern dance class. I had never had one before. Um, and I had a wonderful teacher named Jane Slusarski, hmm. who um, I later found out, I didn't know at the time, of course, I didn't know anything about modern dance really, um, was based in the Hawkins technique. Ah. So a lot of floor work, um, a lot of really grounded movement, and it just felt great. I, I was so, I felt immediately that this was the answer for me. <laughs> um, but they also had jazz classes, so I did both um, both kinds of uh, dancing there, um, both in terms of technique classes and performing. Um, and yeah, she was just a wonderful teacher. And I, I really am sometimes surprised I didn't stay there, but they, they were having this little tug of war with their um, university at that time. And even though they had this beautiful dance building on campus, it was one of the most beautiful architectural pieces on the campus. Um, and they had been in, I think, the theater department for at least some time. They were trying to argue for moving them back into the Phi Ed department. Hmm. And that became clear to everyone, even at that young age with the little I knew, that that wasn't good. <laughs> um, you know, that just felt like a backward step. So, um, so I started to think about what, if I wanted to stay there or not. And it so happened that my roommate who was also from the Twin Cities was also thinking of leaving. So I started looking around a little bit and it was at that time that my mom sent me an article from the Star and Tribune about the new Coles chair at, uh. at the university and Barbara's um, taking the helm of that program and what they wanted to do with that chair program. So it just seemed like, wow, uh, the opportunities that might be available it would be in-state tuition, so it would be cheaper, and um, it felt like it had a lot of the things I was looking for now that I had decided that I really wanted to dive into modern dance. And so what year was that that, that you went, started back at the U? I think went it was the... 1988, if I'm, I'm pretty sure, 88. Okay. Gosh, I'm just always so fascinated because I, I came to the U in 89, and there was just this sense of in my mind, you know, naivete, whatever, <laughs> of like, everyone's been here forever. They know what they're doing, you know, like, and it's like, oh, they were just here a year ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like a lot of people stumbled into that program from other, you know, places or paths. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about the people that were there, because I, I thought you maybe came in a little later than I did. But um, the names that came to mind when I was thinking about the U program were 
um, Joanne Horn and Megan Meyer and Susan McKenna and Maria Loisel, who's still a dear friend. I met on the front steps during orientation. Hmm. Um, she just came up and started chatting with me and we found out we were both going to be taking some dance classes. Um, Nikki Grandstrand, Denise Patachek, Blanca Brichta, Carl Flink, Rosie Seamus, Robert Cleary, um, Rick Sakowitz, mm-hmm. Mary Creamy, Matt Jensen at the tail end, and uh, and you, and I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting, but just a lot of amazing dancers and people that I still love to keep in contact with. Yeah, and a lot of a lot really moved through the dance scene, really, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that maybe has shifted now mm-hmm. <laughs> from that yeah. program. Yeah, they but, don't necessarily stay as long, but a lot of these people danced in town, at least for some period of time. Yeah. Well, obviously, we pa- we crossed paths there, and I'd be interested in hearing kind of your perspective of what your experience was like there. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I uh, I believe there was a little bit of a battle to keep the program going, but maybe that you got in right after that battle. Yeah, well I, think I, was after that. I think it was after that because I think getting Barbara hired was part of that. Okay. Um, and having her there and then having the Coles chair kind of put it on safe ground. Um, I was only a little bit aware of, of what had kind of happened before. Um Barbara had taken over, you know, not till later did I hear more about the early history of the program, but I remember um, I came home, I can't remember if I came home for spring break or summer break and went to visit, and they sent me to David Voss's modern class to watch, and it was in Pike Gym, Hmm. down in that echoey small. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it was really a wonderful class. He was very warm when I walked in, and... um, it looked familiar enough with the little modern dance I'd had that I felt like, Oh, I, you know, I could, I could jump in here. Um, but I also knew that Zoe was teaching there. And although I hadn't taken class with her, I had been taking class with a couple of her dancers. So that was a draw. Yeah. Um, and I had a friend I could live with on the U of M can't wear, you know, off campus. Um, so that all felt kind of like an easy transition. So I moved back that summer and started in the fall of 88 and interestingly, I never took class with David Voss. <laughs> ah. I never ended up in his class. And I never, I realized I never ended up in Marge Maddox's class either. So I think I may have been kind of pushed into the intermediate level right off the bat, even though I had so little technique, uh, modern technique under my belt. Interesting. Um, but I, you know, like you um, probably experienced just so many interesting teachers came through. I just feel like it was a, uh, an opportunity to try on all sorts of different hats and techniques and styles and see what they felt like. And some felt immediately like a great fit. Um, the one that comes to mind is the chance to do Esplanade in my, I think, third year. Um, that just felt like what my body was made to do. Hmm. <laughs> move big yeah. And move big and move out and throw your weight around and... Um, dance within that beautiful music um and other things were fun but didn't feel as um a good fit we we did a lot of cunningham technique during my years because of uh sage's connections i think and so um i remember taking class from uh, douglas dunn of course Um, (laughs) such great fun i still keep in touch with him a little bit here and there um and we had, well, I think it was before my time that Viola Farber had come, because I remember hearing stories about that from the yeah. who were already in the program. So that I feel like the Cunningham kind of started with Viola, and then um, Carolyn Brown came, and I don't remember which year it was, but she came more than once during my time there and set work and taught classes. And it just was super challenging. I didn't have the ballet background to pull off that Cunningham technique it was really a struggle. And so just not as fun as some of the other um, types of dance that we got to try, but she was wonderful. I mean, she was so now in retrospect, I can see why she was amused. She had just such a kind of um, regal um, poised intelligence about her 
And she was very giving, even though what she threw at us was really, really hard. <laughs> um, and I, I vividly remember um, her setting a work. I can't remember if it was the first or second visit. And I wasn't in it. I think I was an understudy. But the one who ended up being kind of um, at the center of the piece was Denise Patachek. Did you ever know her? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, she was, um, I think she was dancing with New Dance as well, or did at one point, but she had she had that line and that technique. So she was already maybe from New Dance, already had some of that in her body. And she had this amazing ability to stand in releve for extended periods of time, which I later figured out was like a hallmark of the <laughs> She just had the most beautiful lines and to watch her do that movement also made me realize that you know, there were just some bodies and some um, anatomy that was more made for specific techniques. Yeah, yeah. And with the Coles grant, um, was it a grant considered a grant? But it's the program, sorry. It's got a long term. I can never remember its full title, but it's the Coles Land Chair Grant something, something. Yeah. and And within that, like so many great, you know, major choreographers were coming through I yeah mean, such a such a great opportunity and i i kind of wanted to get a little bit more about um like barbara barker my first time meeting her i because i was transferring from winona she was like okay here's your schedule <laughs> like she <laughs> she walked me through like okay you're going to cla this is your dance classes and this is what you're going to be registering for otherwise i'm like Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> you know, like, like really just be, was the mom, you know, that you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, she was wonderful at that. I mean, she was a, she was a mom, but she also kind of played that role in the department. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always thought it was so funny, like the year after I graduated, the Barbara Barker Center was opened. I was like, ah, <laughs> dancing in that gym all that time. Yes, I so I, I think I'm pretty sure that Barbara was my advisor for s some or all of my time there. So I, I used to have these regular meetings with her where we would talk about academics for about five minutes and then we would just chat. And she <laughs> was so lovely and warm. And um, I remember we would talk about shoes and she just loved all sorts of things and had all sorts of interests. And yes. I don't remember her making my schedule, but I do remember her being very helpful and just navigating the um, the requirements so that we could get all of our dance classes in and still manage to graduate in a reasonable amount of time, which was really tricky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so classy. I just, I always was in awe of her style and her presence. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like she was just as good at um, talking with the students as she was with talking with the the funders and donors. You know, mm -hmm. she, she would kind of turn on a dime and just start chatting people up. And then she also had this way of navigating the administrative part of it, which it made me realize that that type of role needs to be able to do all those things. And that's that's unique to find a person who has gifts in all those areas. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the story of her always falling asleep during the actual shows themselves <laughs> has to be mentioned. Yes, that. And um, she was also my dance history teacher. Um, and I think it was like the Judith Brynn Ingber would teach the first part of dance history, which was very early. And then Barbara would teach the later. And she would tell great stories. She had a background with, um, gosh, was it the Paris Opera Ballet? I think she'd written a book. Yes, um, yes, yes. And she had the specific area that she had expertise in. And so when we got to that subject, I remember it got really exciting and she told lots of good stories. Um, she was just very animated. She made history, you know, very lively. And um, I was glad, I'm glad now in retrospect, I got to have her teach that class because I have a feeling she didn't do that very often. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I would fall asleep in her class. I remember that. And she was always like, you need to eat more. You need to like <laughs> take care of yourself. Again, the mommy mom side of her mm -hmm. would come out. But well, very cool. I didn't realize that you did not uh, take David's class either, that you were not really part of his class very much. So that's no, interesting. He, I did take his comp class. 
he taught composition for some amount. I don't remember if I had one or two classes from him, and those were really great. I did really enjoy those. He would throw assignments at us and leave us in the studio <laughs> to figure things out, and then we would show them. But I want to say by the end of those comp classes, he had started to get ill. And um, and then I was also in his, hmm, what was it called? Concerto for Dancers? No, Soldier. Oh my gosh, Soldier, yes. I don't remember the, it has a French title that I don't recall right now, but we got to perform it with live music, musicians from the university. And he created that during the time that he was kind of falling ill and uh, I think he was pretty ill by the time we actually got it up onto stage. But um, that was, I felt like the most time I was able to spend with him. And it uh, also highlighted his love of music. He was also a composer and he taught music for dance because he had that background. So he would um, bring in the score and uh, have us follow the score visually while we learn that piece, which really nobody does anymore. But that was very much a skill that was necessary when you were a dancer in earlier times. And I think he loved it because he had so much music in his background. Yeah. And I love his history of, he was like a piano player for MDT and all of a sudden was like then dancing with MDT <laughs> is, is the story I've heard um, and was Drosselmeyer for so many years. Yes. Um, Lisa Holton was very much like, you need to, when I did Drosselmeyer a couple of times and she's like, just channel David Voss. I'm like, I'm there for that. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. He was wonderful. And I, yeah. Really wonderful. And I, I feel, I mean, I don't know, we don't have to go into this too deeply, but I feel like, you know, it was the beginning of the AIDS epidemic at the time. And, you know, David was diagnosed with AIDS. And I feel like as students, there was just this, you know, I, um, that unknowing of, okay, what's, what's wrong or what's happening here. And, and then loving this person that has been so critical or, or so crucial to your training and personable. And he was my uh, advisor. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. It's just very interesting to put that in history timeframe as well of, of what the students kind of were taking on in a way um, and trying to support and, and just embrace him. And, you know, I don't know. Do, yeah. Is there anything you want to share with that? Yeah, I could go into great length, actually, because it was a very important experience for me. Um, yeah. the reasons that you're outlining, but it was the per first person I knew personally who became ill with AIDS. I'm so, um, I feel so blessed now that they were able to be fairly open with us. I know it took them a long time to explain to us what was going on, but when they did, I felt like, um, the way they chose to talk about it and the way he chose to still be present. Um, I never felt fear around being with him or, mm -hmm. you know, it, which I know is a stigma, but I didn't ever experience it. And I will, um, and I remember him being ill and having to be really flexible in rehearsals because sometimes he could, you know, do what he needed to do and other times he could not. Yeah. Um, but then I also vividly remember going to visit their boathouse. Um, they lived on a houseboat um, outside of Stillwater. And when he was really ill um, and close to passing, they invited just a few of us out and Roger was there and we got to speak with him and he took kind of a moment with it, with each of us. And it was very, very moving. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I think that openness of sharing that information and as a program to have that, no, I don't know. I feel like it kind of bonded that student group in a very specific way. Uh, as a, of a life experience, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, interesting. Well, so upon graduation, Dana, what did you do? I have, I have like, I feel like you know this community is small enough to know what's going on, and I'm like, I have, I, what did Dana do right away after graduating college? Yeah, well, I will mention because I know other of your uh, interviewees have mentioned that I wasn't um, last supper at Uncle Tom's cabin. Yes, yes. So I, that's another bonding experience. I feel like the whole Twin Cities has. We can all get together someday and tell our individual stories from that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I also, um, I quickly, I don't know how quickly I can't recall, but I, I did start, um, dancing at the Xenon, like what's now the zone program. It had a different okay. name. And so I started doing creating work and dancing in other people's work. And the people that I specifically remember, um, being a part of that was Leah Nelson and Morgan Thorson, hmm. who I think were both also new to the community at the time. And. I just recall being thrown into that um, program with some really interesting people. I think I had auditioned for Xenon actually and didn't get it, but um, Linda had offered, you know, this other opportunity. Um, so I remember dancing in a piece by Christine McGinnis and a piece by Sam Costa and, and then uh, other student works. And that kind of turned into a couple side gigs. Um, I, performed in something that Morgan created at the Southern Theater um, that was very like improvisation based. It's kind of a hazy memory. And then I also know that some group of us performed at a gallery called Famine Chorus, which was run by a friend of mine. Um, so kind of just small gigs around town, um, mostly in the improvisational or modern vein. Um, and then I think it was in my senior year, I graduated in the middle of a year because I did kind of four and a half years. So when I, right after or right before I graduated, um, Kathy Young had moved to town and she had an audition for what was then known as Glam Slam. Do you remember that place? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. She had an audition because she was going to have a very small dance company that operated out of Glam Slam and she had done the same thing or a similar thing in Boston before she had left there. So she was kind of just jumping back into something she already had been working on. And I knew about it because Marcus Schulkind had been at the U during my last months and he knew Kathy from Boston and he told me that I should go to this interview, uh, interview, sorry, audition. And, um, so I did, and it was in the club itself, um, which was really beautiful space. And she threw all this crazy fast movement at us. And it was like, you know, I wouldn't call it, I guess it was jazz based, but it had all sorts of elements to it. Um, but it was definitely catering to the, the club scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got it. And I'll never forget that audition because first of all, I just decided I'm, I'm just going to go for it here. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm about to graduate from college. Um, and I just remember th throwing myself into it. But at the same time, there was all these other dancers in town uh, in the audition who were clearly more experienced than I was and were really great. Um, and from that group, I don't remember the other gentleman's name, but there, Greg Walesky got hired. Okay. So it was Greg and I and Catherine Jung, ah. who, um, who danced at New Dance at the time, I think, New Dance Ensemble. And I'm trying to think if the fourth person was, or the other woman was somebody I knew. I can't recall now. But anyway, there was six of us total, and we started getting paid. Um, we would have, I think, almost weekly rehearsals. And at one point, we were performing every weekend or every other weekend at the club. And she'd make a new dance every time. Oh my gosh. And so it was very, um, it was great experience for like learning movement really fast, figuring out how to perform it. There was a lot of partnering. It was on a teeny tiny stage. Um, but she had somehow talked that club into like, they would turn off the other music, the dance music. They had real lights on. It was on a stage. Um, we had a back, you know, like a green room. It was, it was very uh, official in terms of a performance, given that it was in the middle of like a Saturday night in a club. And so I started working with her for that. And um, that quickly segued into um, working with her in other work. Um, she was really interested in making modern dance work and jazz work and all sorts of things. And she was, I think, probably at, still at Xenon at that time. Or maybe jazz dance was still at Xenon. That probably, that sounds right. Because I feel like, yeah, because jazz dance kind of busted out in 92-ish or so. So yeah. th that was the divorce of Danny and, and Linda at Xenon. Yeah, you know, that pro probably was about the same time then, because I think it would have been 90, early in 92. 
when we were doing Glam Slam. And um, so she started doing her own work. And I remember doing an early trio with Catherine Jung and a woman named Carol. And I can't remember. Oh, yes, Carol. uh, Blonde hair. I'm going to say Ekstrom, but I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right either. I can't recall. But the three of us did a trio. um, And we did it at Patrick's Cabaret. And I don't recall where else. And that led to what ended up being, I think, well, at least 10 years of dancing with Kathy. Oh, my gosh. I That's so amazing that you're there right at the beginning of her her Glam Slam stuff, as well as the modern dance performance yeah. concert. That's amazing. It was, also, it was also that summer that I went, um, just as a student, to Jacob's Pillow. Or, or the next summer. Because um, Danny was teaching there, and you guys were all there. And I think it was your first trip. Oh my gosh, Dana. I don't remember that. It's so terrible. Do you know what year you started with Jazz Dance? Well, I started right when he formed it mm-hmm. here locally after Xenon. And I'm going to say 94, mm-hmm. but it might have been 92. That's why I'm I'm terrible at dates. <laughs> it will be great together in that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember which year, but I, I can't remember if I'd been out of school for a year or two years, but I went to Jacob's Pillow for the summer and I picked... I picked it specifically because it was Ailey, it was Ailey week, but also because Danny would be teaching. Yeah. And Kathy, I must have heard about it from Kathy is my guess. And so I went as a student and took like six hours a day of, of um, Horton technique, which wow. <laughs> after about one day I realized was not my forte. <laughs> and that, I learned a lot and I, I got to take class with Judith Jameson and Milton Myers and um, Diane McIntyre and all these amazing people that I still remember fondly, but my body wasn't very happy. And then Danny was teaching. So that was part of each day. And, um, and I remember you guys were all in that um, other studio. I can't think of the name of it. The one that was kind of looked like a barn learning. Cool. Oh my gosh. Jack Cole at that time too. Wow. I'm pretty sure you guys were already learning Jack Cole and you performed the Mingus piece on the inside out stage. Okay. And I just was really wowed. I was, you know, especially the Mingus piece. And now in retrospect, realizing you guys did it on that raked stage. With <laughs> <clouds> moving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can imagine that was really tricky. Was that that wasn't your first time seeing Danny's work, was it? No, I think I had somehow seen something in the Twin Cities. I do remember that watching that. I remember watching all of them, all of you in um, class, because all the dancers would be in class. And and then I feel like I watched some little part of rehearsal somehow. So maybe we were invited in. I can't recall, or maybe it was just because I knew Joanne, and so I went into peak. Um. But yeah, I was really wowed by that. And then I was also, um, I remember distinctly the first time I saw the show that in, that ended in Swing Concerto for the first time mm-hmm. uh, and just being sw- completely swept up by that piece. Nice. So you kind of had a little bit of a drive with Danny then or, or to, to train. I did. I, it felt, it felt, um, it looked challenging and exciting, but also looked kind of familiar to me. And uh, maybe it's because I also was dancing with Kathy. I knew that there were similarities, you know, or connections between Mm -hmm. their movement styles. And so, um, yeah, but I do, I distinctly remember seeing that concert, which I can't remember what else was on that concert that ended the very first time you guys performed um, Swing Concerto at O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh... Oh gosh, there was a, a mambo piece. Oh yeah, I want to say Forza Viva. Yep, that's right. Um, oh Mahalia Jackson. Uh, yeah, I can't think of the title of it. On my way. Um, that's I was just gonna say. On my way. Yes. Yeah, I think those were the, the three works, and then I think Danny maybe did his solo. Um, solo. Yeah. 
souvenir, the souvenir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah because I was just super impressed. And I remember distinctly also watching the, during the last section when the dancers um, did that, like flip over all their partners. <laughs> yeah. It looked so crazy and so fun. Um, and it was short, not long after that, or I, mean, I can't remember again the chronology, but I ended up on a bus with Danny <laughs> um, going back to Uptown one day from Hennepin Center and sat next to him and kind of chatted him up a little bit. And um, I don't even remember what we talked about. We just kind of chit-chatted a little while, a little while and um, it was shortly after that that Kathy got pregnant. And she was told by her doctor that she wasn't supposed to get her heart rate up past a certain number. Mm. <laughs> and she said, well, I think I can do all the rest of the show, but I don't think I can do swing concerto. Um, so I got brought in to replace her in swing concerto for a tour that was coming up really quickly. And um, I don't remember what else I was doing at the time, but I, I had the time and the space and I just showed up. And she and uh, Mark Kane took me into a studio on the first floor of Hennepin Center and basically taught it to me in two weeks. I think I learned the whole thing in the first week or, you know, roughed it out in the first week and then started rehearsing with the rest of the company the second week and went on tour maybe the following. And Mark Kane was there? Yeah. He was my partner in the piece. So he was Kathy's partner. Um, and Which then, was me. <laughs> oh, so he had replaced you. Right, because you weren't in the company then. Yeah, I I think I left in 97 for a little bit because I then came back as a guest yeah. at other times. But, oh, my gosh, that's so – I knew that we didn't – I was like, did we cross paths? But we didn't. Nope, only, only when we did the um, retrospective. Yes, yes, and, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so Mark was my partner. He was amazing. Yeah. You know, undaunted by this much younger, less experienced dancer coming in and heaving myself onto his shoulder after two weeks. Um, and the thing I wanted to ask you about, because you got to create it with him and probably rehearse the sections over a period of time, but I had to learn the whole thing in two weeks and run it. And I'll never forget the first time I had to run Swing Concerto end to end in uh, Studio 2B. I thought my lungs were going to explode. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> it was like go and go and go, like just really hard. And it like culminates at the end too. So it's like, oh, you think you're done? Nope. <laughs> we're going to do this now. <laughs> That's right. It just gets faster and faster until you hit the floor at the end. Oh, this is so amazing though, Dana, because I, I did not know that Mark Kane came back to perform with Danny. So it's amazing. Yeah, he was great. He was probably only with us for maybe a season or part of a season. And then there was all these shifts in the company. And um, Kathy left. She came back for a came back after she had Lucy for a tour, I think. And I think she decided it was just going to be too challenging, or I, I'm not sure exactly what her reasoning was, but she decided um, she shouldn't stay in that role. Um, and a little before that, Carla left. So I was only ever overlapping with Carla for maybe a tour or two. And she decided to devote herself to Flying Foot Forum. Hmm. And that had become kind of too complicated to do them both at the same time. Um, so when they both left, um, let's see, Jennifer Wolverton came in. Oh, yes. And Mariusz was hired. So even though I had done these couple tours with just Swing Concerto, when I officially started with the company, it was the first um, time that Mariusz joined the company. So is there a work, how many, like what was the process like? Or is there a work that you remember as the first one that you were kind of alongside Danny creating? Yeah, that's a good question. The first tour I did was the one that you've just outlined, which was Fuerza Viva and Mahalia and Swing. Um, let's see, what would we have done first? Well, at some point early on, we created um, the what became the final Jack Cole project for him, mm -hmm. which was this wonderful piece called, I think it was called Three for the Road. That were that Maybe that was the name of the movie it came from. 
So probably like you, we had to watch films that his choreography had appeared in and try to reconstruct them for the stage, which was really challenging. Um, but this was a wonderful piece where um, they had this huge set built that was a big um, pyramid made out of stairs. So it was a four-sided staircase and uh, with a teeny tiny stage on the top. And Judith, James, Reese, and I both appeared in full-length ball gowns with trees. Yes. <laughs> um, and a wig that had to like be rolled up at the end of every show and then released during the performance. Um, and we got to sword fight on the top of the pyramid. Um, <laughs> and who gets to do that? Not very many. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that piece and it was, it was fun because I knew like the growth or the, cause that was a long process for Danny. I feel like with the commission, of Kennedy Center, I want to say, and Jacob's Pillow as part of it, like the amount of years that he researched that and and put it together. I actually got to do some portions of it, yeah, uh, as part of that research. But to see the live show finally at O'Shaughnessy was just like, oh my gosh! Like those big dresses and exactly the wigs, and it was so fun. Yeah, and I didn't realize at the time that that's not something he really ever did. You know, that was pretty extreme in terms of costuming and sets. Yeah, yeah. It like, reminded me of his, uh, uh, the Nutcracker that he always did. Yeah, that's true. A, that, a little that, bit. That was also big and had amazing costumes. Um, yeah, so let's see. That would have been one of the first ones. Um, I, I recall something, um, a piece called Points on a Curve, which was created to this um gosh it was Ornette Coleman and then some I'm not going to remember the name of the Japanese um jazz musician and he was making this connection between bebop and how it took off in Japan so musically he had put these together and that was definitely early on and that one it really had its own vocabulary it was very specific and the music was extremely complicated. I mean, almost all of his music was complicated, but this one was, the counting for it was just crazy. And um, we really had fun making that. It had a whole floor section that was really challenging. And it was, there was three of us in a kind of a trio and then Mariusz and Maria were a duet. And at the end we came together. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think that would have been early on. There was a piece called Bone Matter to Kansas City Jazz Music that we toured a lot um, and a piece, oh, this would have been later called Bone Matter that was um, to Julia Lee, the music of Julia Lee. And uh, we had to throw brooms across the stage at each other is what I remember. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. They had these props that of course, you know, one week it dropped every performance. It was one yeah. of the, yeah, props and children. Um, but the ones that eventually came from that group, I feel like that group kind of gelled together over a period of time. And then he created um, a couple really, what I think of as more epic works. Um, one was um, the commission for the Library of Congress. Yes. And he created a piece um, with a composer, Sir Roland Hanna, who had been Jazz Dance and Sir Roland had been chosen by the Library of Congress to put together. Um, and that was a really long process and was eventually premiered on the Kennedy Center stage. Um, it had long, beautiful sets by a friend of his named Susan, um, these scrolls that would come down. And it was somehow steeped for him in some imagery around his mother and his aunt in the 50s. So we wore these 50s style dresses um, and the imagery on the scrolls was from that, from some of those ideas he had talked about. And then the other one, of course, is Ezekiel's Wheel, um, which I don't think could have been made unless we had all been together, you know, really working together for a while. Yeah, such a beautiful piece. I feel like that, that work specifically, I got to actually perform that. I came back filling in for someone at some point and just the... I mean, I saw it and was in love with it and then getting to perform it actually as well, it just really resonated as a perform as a mover, you know, the musicality of it, the emotional 
kind of effects it has like the journey as a as a dancer i think was really fulfilling yes it definitely was and we like all of danny's works he had done so much research and work before he ever came to the studio that you felt like you were um, he was kind of taking you into his confidence to create this piece that he had had in his head as a vision for so long and then when you would finally start constructing it together it was a lot of kind of chasing each other around the studio trying to repeat things and seeing where it went um, but in that case we had the music from philip hamilton who it was one of the greatest joys of my performing to perform live with uh, Philip, mm. his ensemble. Um, they were absolutely amazing and could just carry both the dancers and the audience all by themselves. Um, but he had pieces of that music because Philip was writing it as it was being created. So that was very different. Normally, Danny would come into the room with a suite of songs that he had put together that were pre-recorded. Yeah. And in both of these cases, he was he was working with a live composer who was creating it kind of in real time as we created the work. So um, the original piece for Ezekiel's was three sections. And then eventually he added the sevens. But after we had even toured it once, I believe. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it's magical to be in the middle of. Um, it's really, I was transported many times. <laughs> What I do remember is that we had done all this talking about the civil rights movement and the imagery, and he had brought books and shown us photographs and stories about the civil rights um, movement and the freedom riders. And um, it all felt real and important and emotional, but it was, I think it was on our first tour of the piece um we learned shortly before we went on stage or during tech that matthew shepherd had been killed oh. and that just made it feel absolutely present in a way yeah. that for me it hadn't before that and um that we were still a part of the movement that it wasn't a past thing that it was hmm. happening presently and we were we had a role to play with this piece and um it was so emotional we were all it's making me teary just to think about it we were all yeah. weeping by the end um and i think we carried that with us forward wherever we took it um so it had like a very present contemporary um meaning for all of us even though it was steeped in this imagery that was from the 50s and 60s yeah yeah that it's it is something that's moving forward that makes so much sense to me to have that experience. And I love that about dance specifically too. It's like every time you perform something, each experience that you have feeds or informs the next time you, you dance it and perform it. Yeah. And I think, you know, because we did so much touring, which nowadays is quite rare, um, we had the chance to do works over and over and in different venues for different audiences. Yeah. And that um, does inform the work in a unique way. I, I wish more people got the chance to do that. Um, I Me also, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for many reasons. Um, but I also, you know, I guess there was also this point where, because I had um, first performed Swing Concerto with the company. When I started, I think I still did it in the last show I ever performed. So I had done it for, <laughs> I don't know how many years. Um, I don't know if you felt that way about Swing Concerto, but it was <laughs> yes. never going to die. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah, seriously, talking about the experience of getting to tour like that and to perform works so much. Um, I love that idea of as a, as a dancer that you're like, you've performed it so many times you know exactly what you're doing even though it's a very live thing and a living thing like all that information that is kind of all draws together for that same performance each time i don't know i think i feel like there's like a sense of getting bored with it so you actually are performing the work more and more honestly every time yeah and it becomes well, kind of like a living 
more of a living piece in my head, like, um, mm -hmm. or in my body, I would say, so that you don't have to think so much and yeah. uh, you're, you're drawing on other resources to perform it. And, and very much, at least in my experience with jazz dance, having spent all that time with those people on tour, in an airplane, in a bus, mm -hmm. sick, talking about your significant others, eating meals in restaurants, you know, all those things which go along with touring, um, build relationships that you don't have otherwise, frankly. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I mean about some of those later works. I feel like they wouldn't have been the same if we hadn't had established those relationships. Hmm. How long were you in the company? Um, I think it was maybe six and a half years something like that yeah and was that at towards the end of like danny moving on or no uh he did a couple more years after i was gone and he let's see i'm trying to think how many years because i i he still did i can still still think of a couple pieces he created after i'd gone um but he yeah he's you know i still keep in touch with him have such fond memories of my time with him. I actually just spoke with Les Johnson, his husband partner, um, the other day. So hmm. we'll have a lot of tight relationships with all those folks. Yeah, that's so great. Well, I didn't realize we were gonna talk about jazz dance so much. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel as though, Danny, you always had this kind of administrative side beyond that performing and things. Like, were you working with Judith Brennan Burr even in college, maybe? No, not in college. Um, okay. She was my she was my professor for dance history, and I loved her class. Um, so definitely um, looked up to her from those early days. But then we, I think we had a couple years of where we weren't in touch. My first administrative stuff happened with Kathy. Okay. Um, she started doing her own work, and everything was self produced at that point. And we, I've, I've always had that part of my brain that likes to organize things, which, you know, you, when you're growing up, you kind of think everybody feels the way you do. But as I got older, I realized, oh, I, this is kind of a gift that I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also realized that some artists don't have that gift. It's kind of a, sometimes it's an either or. Mm -hmm. um, and Kathy had both, um, still does, but uh, she needed, she had so much on her plate. We started dividing things up. And I'll never forget, we produced her first full evening at 6A. And um, I think we did two or three shows. And I was in charge of the box office and advertising, and I can't remember what else. And we decided to make my home phone number, landline at that time, of course, the box office number. Uh oh. <laughs> and they all pulled out. And my phone rang off the hook for like several weeks and I had to monitor it and make sure people knew that we were sold out. So I had to keep changing my message. Anyway, my oh, early yeah. into administration was very DIY. Um, but I liked it and I could tell that I was helping make the work happen. And um, over the years um, through Kathy and through the other artists I've worked with, I kind of got to try on different hats administratively and figure out what I was better at and what, what didn't really land so well. Um, and I feel really grateful. It both allowed me to, um, have other income so I could dance, but it also kept me steeped in the, in the community. And there's just something about working with other artists as opposed to other fields that is mm -hmm. incredibly rewarding. Definitely. Yeah. And that kind of, I feel like shifted right away you were like on the ground floor of the Sage Awards with Stuart Pimsler. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked for a couple companies. I worked for Judith Ingber up until even recently. I've helped her once or twice. <laughs> things. And I love keeping our connection. Um, I worked for Judith first by herself. And then um, she also had a company called Voices of Sepharad. So I, I was their booking agent at one point and wow. with administrative and grant writing. Um I worked with Beth Corning for a while with her company. Um, yeah, lots of people. And then at one point, I think I was already at the Southern. So I worked at the Southern Theater. Um, 
in 2001, maybe 2002, started at the Southern. And uh, I, there was this large community dance community gathering that had been funded by the McKnight Foundation that happened at the Barker, I think. Yes, in 2004. Yeah, okay, good. I just came across these minutes. That's why I I know that. <laughs> yeah, so that meeting, they allowed people to throw out topics that could be up for discussion, and then people in the room could decide which topics they wanted to join in. And one of the topics was Stuart bringing up the idea of an awards program. And uh, so I joined that one, and I was really energized by the conversation. And there was a group of us that came from that, the continued discussions um, and several and formed kind of a little committee for a period of time. And then eventually it ended up being the two of us, um, always with advisors, um, but kind of took that forward and found funding and figured out that first year. Um, so we did it all told, I think it was 13 years, hmm. yeah, but there were at least, there was at least kind of a year and a half, maybe two in front of that to get it all planned. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a, I mean, I'm very proud of that work. It kind of had its moment. It was always controversial. There was a lot of controversy when we first started it. Some people felt like we didn't need another um, another event to highlight the have and have nots hmm. in the community when I think um, at the time the McKnight Fellowships had bumped up to a bigger amount of money. And so they became more competitive and I think there was just more people coming into the community. So it felt like there was more competition in general. Um, but there were some people that just was worried that it would cause more um, fractions than it would mm -hmm. cohesiveness. Um, but our goal was, you know, we had a couple goals. One was just to celebrate the work that's happened over the past year, because dance is so fleeting. You know, you mm -hmm. rehearse and you rehearse and you do a show and then it maybe never happens again. Um, so it felt important to just pause at the start of the next season and reflect on the work that had been made and talk about it, have discussions. Um, that was a big part of it. We wanted to bring together a panel of people who could just engage in dialogue around the work that was happening in the Twin Cities. Um, and I've uh, always been a fan of everybody getting together in fancy dress. <laughs> me too yes yes <laughs> celebrating what we do and you know part of my background is in catering so that maybe came more easily to me but I just felt like we can throw a big party everybody can wear their wonderful and crazy dress we can cheer each other on um and it doesn't have to be contentious necessarily um yeah. so yeah it, it changed and morphed over the years but I'm really proud of of the work that Stuart and I did together yeah when I have to say a big thank you to that, because I, I can't agree more. I feel like the community, we need to celebrate each other. And th that kind of gathering as a party, you know, like we don't get to hang out like that. You know, we're all doing our thing and working and we, we have our connections, but to actually celebrate the community as a whole of all that is being done. And yeah, I just really appreciated it. Yeah, I loved it. I We had learned about the Bessies in New York and we studied about um, some other programs around the country. And we and the Ivies were started up the same year that uh, the Sage Awards were, strangely. And I think that very first year we had somehow picked the same night. Uh. <laughs> and we got wind of it and changed ours before the publicity went out. Um, and I just felt like we could do it. The community can celebrate itself in a way that others can't you know, mm -hmm. and it always had this wonderful feeling of all your friends in the room cheering for each other. You know, it was, um, it was just a chance to kind of let loose and chat and, you know, it, it was very celebratory for me. So I, yeah. I kind of miss that element of it. And why did it come to a close? Was funding just not, did it become too contentious? No, it was, um, it was very simple. Um, and I still um, give a lot of kudos to the McKnight Foundation, which was the primary funder for all the years. We had other funders in and out along the way, but they were the steadfast um, funding for that program. And at some point, they had just kind of overhauled their mission a bit and thought about where they were allocating funds and realized that um, awards programs, both ours and the Ivies, um, 
weren't really in the main mission mm. for the program. So, but they gave us a couple years warning and, you know, we had lovely conversations about it. They were very open and transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they finally said, you know, this will be your last year, um, that was just that. And, and I was kind of heartened by the fact that I knew that that money, although it wasn't a lot, could go to a dance company or could go to, you know, another artist to make work. Yeah. It would yeah. just, it would just go back out into the community in another form. For sure. When I, I feel like that brings us really naturally to you're assuming the program director role with the artist fellowship for choreographers and dancers in town, uh, maybe now just over a year or last year and a half, maybe. Yeah. We're coming up on a year here. I started last January. Yeah. And obviously you were there with, uh, Mary Ellen Childs, uh, as the associate with her for five years. And, you know, there's just such a great deal this community owes to the McKnight foundation, honestly. <laughs> um, is there anything you would like to share with our listeners about the program itself? Hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's yeah. a... Well, I mean, it has its own interesting history, which I won't go into, but uh, I'll say that the choreographer program was one of the original few fellowship programs that were created by the foundation in 1981. Mm-hmm. So 81, I can't remember if they started in 81 or 82, but they're about to celebrate their 40th anniversary. Ah. So if you think about the legacy of 40 years of funding for the choreographers in this town, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and then dancers were added along the way. And in the early days, it was very different. It was, um, you nominated each other. And um, it was, yeah, it was just a very different program. But I just think, um, I feel so blessed to be in this role and to be able to support artists and to um, listen to what's going on in the community and, and what people need, especially the last couple of years. Um, and it's wonderful to work for the foundation and I should say in partnership with the Cole Center, which is our administrative partner, um, to figure out how to best use those funds how best to uh support the artists um and to have some flexibility within that so that we're not um running something that's rigid but mm-hmm. something that can be somewhat malleable and um and how those funds can best be used by the artists um and then there's also the wonderful part of you know six people get $25,000 every year. Yeah. And it's life-changing, you know, it's, it's, um, I hear over and over how it's changed people's lives. And, um, I, I'm excited that we still have a lot of new people coming into the mix. We, you know, the landscape has changed so much here in 40 years, much less, you know, the last decade, um, that there's been giant changes. So it's nice to, um, kind of have followed that progression of the community over time and all the uh, changes in the voices in the room and changes in the venues mm-hmm. and all those things impact um, people being able to make their work and what kind of work they're making. Yeah. And how that shifts economically in the environment we're in. Yeah. Just to have that perspective on it is so cool. Yeah, and I guess since I have the platform, I'll quickly say um, we are always eager to talk to people who haven't applied before. And I feel like one of our biggest jobs um, as a program is to help people apply to navigate their application. If that's um, we don't want that to be a barrier. So we are here as a resource to help people figure out how to put their best foot forward. And um, it can be challenging for some artists to learn to talk about their work to um to figure out how to be um to speak passionately and eloquently about what they do and um yeah so that's uh, it's always our goal is to help people uh, navigate the application and our next round will be opening in january so we're already preparing materials for that next round wow yeah that's awesome and so true honestly i mean there's nothing like uh, preparing that artist statement and kind of diving into, you know, what is important to you. I think I, I personally live by that 
um, even if it's just a model, you know, that you're, you're writing for exercise in a way that you, you are starting to hone your craft of understanding where, where, where's, what's my vision here? You know, I think it's, it's really helpful to even put that together. Yeah. I hear that from a lot of people that it's a really, um, it's an exercise that helps them reevaluate, you know, yeah. Yeah. assess where they're at. Well, Dana, thank you so much for sharing, you know, a glimpse, obviously there's a lot we could cover. Um, I have so many memories of parties at your house in the college and things like that, <laughs> but we don't have to go into those. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your story with us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Matthew. And thank you so much for continuing this wonderful series. I think you're, you're doing something really remarkable for the community. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we hear from Linda Lee Soderstrom a retired dance teacher and co-author of Margaret Dietz, A Dancer's Legacy.